Ho, ho, ho. Episode 23 of the Master Keys podcast. In this episode, we talk about big changes in inclusionary zoning in Toronto. We talk about a landlord who threatened to deport his tenant. And Neil is going to tell us a little bit about being a business owner. Check us out wherever you listen to your podcast. When I was broke, I had rich habits. When I was broke, I had rich habits. All right. You're what back. is going on? Happy holidays, everyone. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Happy Christmas. holidays. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Yeah. Joyce Kwanzaa. All the holidays, you and yours. Hope you're having a good one. Thanks for spending some time with us. Hopefully, this is you getting a moment of escape from your loved ones. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I've yeah. never really listened to podcasts, but the first time I listened to a podcast <laughs> was Family Dinner. <laughs> to and from Cape Breton, um, where I go to spend awesome time with my lovely extended in-law family they're they're fantastic this is this called back, backpedaling really quick here <laughs> no no I, I tell them i'm like listen i'm exhausted and i need to go upstairs and lie down for a bit because it's like 60 to 100 people inside a small three-bedroom home and my family's not like that we're a very small family yeah and like our christmases we'd wake up in the morning we'd do our thing and then we'd just go to the four corners of the house my dad would read whatever tom clancy book i got him my sister would go off and read Play with whatever the i would go and watch world junior hockey and you know the the triple header on nbc basketball planet your developments yeah and my mom would be like cleaning up everything was like well that wasn't worth it you know what I mean? <laughs> um but so uh yeah i started listening to podcasts when i was in cape breton with my in-law family whenever i need like a little break <laughs> so hopefully we are providing that same reprieve for someone out there listening and yeah yeah hopefully it's going well so yeah episode 23 christmas eve edition yep um we're not really touching on much for christmas what are you doing this year for christmas are you, you're going back well, up to cb man i don't know if they're gonna let us in Right, uh, like travel restrictions yeah. are coming tighter and tighter. The the kids' sports are sort of shutting down a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and I can't imagine they're going to let us cross the causeway. Us <laughs> mainlanders, they do not want the risk. So I don't know. Uh, it'd be really sad if we can't get up there. I know there's some family that's already out of province and they're not going to be able to make it home. So not really sure. What about you? Things are bolting down quick. I'm just local, uh, smaller fam. So we're going to be here locally. We'll do our classic dinners. Go see a few people, but same Aren't you thing. you go to province, or you, you were planning to? I am after Christmas. Right, um, okay. I'm going to be going out to, out to Alberta just for about a week. We'll spend a little bit of time there and do New Year's, and then come back. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a weird time of year for work because I don't know about you, but I was mentally sort of like, all right, you know, we're wrapping up. Mm-hmm. And I think I've mentioned this before on on this show where we are kind of judged in our professional field based on the volume we close between January and December 31st. Yeah. And so you sort of reach a point where like, well, this time of year, all these deals aren't even closing until next year. And it's so easy to say, well, I'll I'll start fresh in in the new year. And you kind of slow down a little bit. And there's also the cyclical nature of the market. Less people are listing their homes the week before Christmas. Yeah. So mentally, it's easy to start lagging and coasting. I think everyone does this. Yeah. You kind of need to. Inevitably, a bunch of deals pop up, so which is great. Yeah. Um, struggling with one deal because of environmental, um, working on firming up a couple other things. I actually might have another property under offer, but I'm not going to tell you about it um, <laughs> for a couple of reasons. But well, I'll talk about that once once the ink is dry. Duplex? <laughs> You're one to talk. <laughs> I know, You're I one to think. talk because do you have a, a nice six unit under uh, contract or not? Not under contract yet, but working on it. Are we talking about that? 
Uh, weekend, it's not a big deal. I'm not going to say specific locations, but yeah, there's a couple six units that are available uh, that I'm, I'm working oh, couple? on. Yeah. And same, I, I've, shown, I've shown them to, to clients and clients weren't interested. And it's funny when I'm with my clients, sometimes I'll say like, I, I would buy this. And they think I'm just trying to like sales them. And I'm like, no, like, are you going to write an offer? Because if you're not, I'm going to write an offer. Mm-hmm. I'll give them first kick at the can. And then if they're not interested. So these are on market or off market? Uh, most are on market. There's also right. some that are off. Did you take a look at that one that I mentioned to you? I did. I'm going there actually tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's going on. Um, and then, yeah, I, I feel the same thing. I feel like it's slowed down a little bit, um, just purely on an inventory basis. Like you're saying, like not everyone's listing their houses and that kind of thing. So, and not everyone I think is as keen to shop right now either. Like there's still mm-hmm. a lot of really, really hungry people, but some people are like kind of fatigued and tired. They spent the last two, three months doing it and they're like, I don't want to think about this right now. So I want to backtrack a second because I, I left you off the hook a bit there. Yeah. Um, you just were all over me for buying an eight unit building. <clears throat> and now you're saying you're not, you're not looking at one six unit. You're looking at multiple six units. And one of the ones, one of those is a five unit technically. So what's, what's going on? Okay. Let me give some clarity. Unpack it. The, uh, the reason being is I don't have a lot of high end stuff. Like we do our, our renovations very, very nice. Everything's brand new. So in that sense, they're very nice. But location-wise, I don't have uh, stuff that I would marquee, necessarily yeah. yeah marquee locations or Airbnb-style properties. Um, and out of an interest of having maybe one or two of those, because I'd like to get into the Airbnb game, that's why I'm looking at the smaller ones. And the, any of the smaller ones I'm looking at is purely for the potential of short-term rental. Mm-hmm. I'm not being like, oh, I'm just going to add another 16. I got to refi, I have some cash. Not doing that because I'm still hell-bent that there's going to be a big change in the next year. So I'm starting to stockpile cash. Um and so that's not what it's for. It's more so I just want some of these marquee locations. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm so confident in the long term that they'll always do well. And I want to have the opportunity to gain some of the short-term rental because I have a lot of clients that do it. And every time they show yeah. me their Airbnb account, <laughs> I cry. Yeah. Um, and similar to what we've talked about uh, with their current being a real estate agent, it's a great job. It's changed my life. It's done a lot of things, but it's extremely intensive on a time commitment basis. And so to be able to kind of mix in some other income where there's some concern yeah. that the market's slowing down, not again, not necessarily on pricing, but just purely on inventory. If there's just not enough houses and now there's twice the as deal, many agents. Yeah, the deal sample is going to shrink down and down. The deal sample is going to yeah. go down, right? You have less deals going through, more agents. I just don't have the confidence that I can continue at this pace. So I need to now take my income and turn it into something else to get that cash flow. And mm-hmm. so that's why I want the Airbnbs. And I think we're going to do an episode in the new year kind of specifically targeted towards real estate agents and then also maybe targeted towards people who are thinking about becoming a real estate agent just because we get asked about that all the time because we do it and uh, I've done it for 12, 13 years. You've done it for less time. So you're you know, almost more current with, with getting into the industry. Yep. I always tell people I'm going to be direct and truthful about it. It's not all roses and sunshine. It can be phenomenal, yep. um, but it can also be brutal. Yep. But we'll do an episode on that in the new year um, with the short term rental. I mean, the, the cool thing about them being in these marquee areas is that, you know, you know, you're going to get the lift in a different way. You're going to kind of get it in a passive way. Yeah. It's not because you pay a premium when you purchase the property. It's, it's sometimes harder to get the lift because you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm paying so much for it up front. Yeah. But at the same time, they support really high end values you know, as opposed to say, maybe you push the limits and get 175, 180 a door for a renovated unit in one location. It's not unheard of to push the envelope and get close to 300 a door. 
500 a door I've seen on appraisals for something really small. Yeah. But I mean like for a six, you've seen 500 a door on a six. I've seen like 350. Yeah. Yeah. Four. No, actually I just saw a seven at five, 10, five, 15 a door, seven units in, in, uh, in the deep downtown areas. Um, now, I mean, obviously you need to be able to get the rents to support that. And those weren't, those aren't one bedroom units. Okay. Like they're they're two plus, they're two beds, multiple bathrooms, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, but again, you look at the comparison for a proper two bedroom, two bath rental unit, the same thing for a condo would go for five, 600 K. So realistically on a comparison basis there, uh, there's some value. And I know it's not the same as a condo, but it's something to kind of base off of a condo is going for seven, 800. Maybe it does make sense that a rental unit can get to 500 because it's going to rent for 23, 2400 a month. Um, so, but at that point you, you really probably do have to go the short term rental to make that worth it. Well, and so this is the thing. None of these buildings will cash flow on standard long-term rentals. I'm purely looking at them on a, on a short-term rental basis. Now with, with conservative numbers on the short-term side, it's kind of nuts again. Like it just, again, looking at what you can get for a basic room rate, assuming the worst on everything and your costing. So I'm not sure how transparent you want to be about this and and you don't have the properties yet. So, um, but one of the challenges with these, and we talked about a little bit in in our last episode with Igor, financing uh, on your refi, your takeout, where you don't have conventional long-term leases, the lenders don't look at it the same way. Yeah. No, and you can't, so, and I've had this happen with multiple clients uh, where, first of all, the lender won't allow them to do Airbnb. Like it's really written into the stipulation of the mortgage Mm -hmm. documents that you cannot Airbnb. Some also have a percentage of how much of the building can be short-term rental. Um, but yeah, it's not ideal. And I typically, I'd probably do half of the units long-term half on a short-term basis. Right. Um, and even then it, they will likely drop the amount of money that I can pull out of the property. Loan to value wise. Exactly. Yeah. Loan to value wise. So instead of getting a standard 75, you might get 65. Um, it can even go as low as 50. Um, but yeah. yeah, that would, that would be the situation there. So that's, and the, uh, the way some people are getting around this is they're hiring third party Airbnb companies that'll sign leases and they'll rent your building and then they'll go out basically arbitrage and they will re-rent it on Airbnb and give you a profit split yeah. or a set monthly rent. But you mentioned a client had trouble with that. And I was going to say, then the, the back end of that is though, now you have one person signing six leases, let's say. Mm. The bank still, same thing, it flags the bank because they're like, what, who, who is one, ultra, two, three, ultra Airbnb yeah, yeah. like corp and yeah. why are they renting all six units? And why aren't you charging them HST and why aren't you HST registered? So this is another Exactly. Question. And and. Are you concerned at all that the government on its long list of to-dos is going to come for yes, this business market? Yes, 100%. I think the government is going to, and that's why when I look at buying a Airbnb rental property, uh, I know I've heard rumblings specifically in our city that it's going to be based on your zoning in certain areas that you're in. Um, and so okay. I'm oh. trying to target properties mm-hmm. that have either somewhat commercial zoning um, or, or are within what's considered our center plan now. Um, cause that's, that's what I've heard is that they're going to base it off the center plan zonings is what you're going to be allowed to do Airbnb in. And there's only a few hmm. zonings within that apparently that are going to allow it. That's very um, interesting. And I also don't understand why that's fair. I mean, if I was someone out maybe in a slightly more suburban outside the core area, it still requires a short term rental. Yeah. Or, or it still does very well if a short term rental, I'd be a little ticked by that. Yeah. Um, and also part of the reason they, they feel that they want to crack down on these short term rentals is they, they, believe that it is taking away some rental inventory, which it is, um, whether it's as much as people think, I don't know. Um, it's, it's funny to, to kind of think that they might be targeting some, but not 
the other. Hmm, I don't know. That, that's a. I, I'm sure. I'm sure that. it'll come out in kind of a weird, sweeping way because there's people are again. They're like you said. They're screaming that it's stealing all the rental inventory. Mm. Um, again, I think there'll be a giant underworld market that goes on regardless. Um, but for me, I'm just trying to cover my my butt and go with commercial based areas that already allow for like motels or bed and breakfast and things like that. Because that, right. that kind of helps me lean into the idea that okay, there should be an opportunity here. Uh, even if they do change the rules that I'm within an area that technically I could run a bed and bread and breakfast What really what's any different here except minus the breakfast. Right. Um, and even that you can now get companies that'll handle that for you. Are you planning preemptively to HST register and all this stuff or not that I'm working through with accounts and stuff. It's, it's kind of a TBD thing on what makes the most sense. Um, but I definitely want to do it because I'd rather not get a giant bill on the back end. And there's still, I think enough money in it. Like it's, it makes sense to do it. Yeah, that. it's an active business at the end of the day, so it's not going to be paying like a massive tax premium. Um, yeah, people have been asking so. about this all the time, and I've always been a little bit wary. And and we're, it's a perfect segue into the, what we're going to talk about t- today, which is about you know starting a business and all that stuff. We we can get to that in a minute, but it's just a different world, and people assume it's the exact same. And maybe you can get away with like one in your basement, yeah. or you have a duplex and you do a couple of them. But if you actually want to scale it up, your insurance should be different. Yep. You know, you have to be HST registered. Yep. All of these things are going to be different. Your financing, even if you can get into it initially with conventional financing on any refis or future plays that we talk a lot about, it's going to be different. And then there's just the fact that it is a business. Yeah. You know, you have to set up some sort of systems um, to, to, to make it work. But we'll talk a little bit about that Insurance when, when we get into one. this. Yeah. What else is kind of uh, going on or in the news or... Actually, I should mention, I closed that property, right? I think we were kind of talking about that last time. We talked episode. about that last time, yeah, and you had made yeah. a video. So you're closed. Yeah. You had a few people up and end on you, or one person, I think, leave on you and crank the heat. Yeah, one person is out, and another just said that they're going to be leaving end of the month. Uh, so from my perspective, that's fantastic. I want to get in there and do these renovations. I actually started, or I didn't start, but uh, I started kind of um, working on the place here, and they were draining uh, some of the hot water radiator lines because the hot water rats are getting mm-hmm. ripped out and they were just draining it down this floor drain right or like a hole in the, in the ground and out popped two rats coming out of that hole <laughs> the reason being is like it's scalding hot water sent down there and the rats were like oh man we're getting out of here and they just <laughs> run right up and then i'm like where'd they go they're like we don't know. They scurried off into the building. I'm like, oh man! <laughs> and like, well, if it's any consolation, they look like they knew where they were going. So they're not new to, to running the around this building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing, I almost brought it in because we've talked about it, and I thought it was funny, and I forgot to bring the, the darn thing. And I go there, and there's this Halifax water notice that's like, we're about to disconnect your water um, because I forgot to set up utilities. Oh, like we've always yes, talked about it. Yes. I forgot to set up the water utilities which is a bit of a running joke, but I got that done today. So taking over that building, which is super exciting, looking at another building that I'm, you know, really excited about. Um, what are you laughing about? No, no, no comment, no comment. <laughs> this guy's such a hypocrite. Um, <laughs> and we're not even going to get into your purchases. Um, what else is new out there in the news? Um, I mean, there were some changes to Toronto zoning or, or some proposed changes Cutting to Toronto you on before zoning. Before we go there, yeah, I okay. am going to talk about my purchases real quick because I want to make this a point for some people just in case they're trying to learn. Um, so the 19 units that I've mentioned 89 times oh, yeah. is finally closing oh, today, which is exciting. Took a, It's really only a nine-day nine delay. That's really not that crazy. That's not bad, no. Um, anyways, the, long thing, the thing I really want to point out with it is on closing day, uh, myself and the broker overlooked 
the fact that the bank had decided to do a holdback because they didn't feel the cash flow was there. So I have an appraisal that's actually higher than the purchase price. Um, and we had agreed on everything 25% down. And on the front page of your mortgage document, it shows a 75% loan. Like it shows mm-hmm. the full amount. Three pages Gotta deeper. Fine print, Neil. Yeah, three pages <laughs> deeper on this 80-page document. They talk about how due to the fact it doesn't maintain cash flow, they're actually going to hold back 50K. And I was doing a refi at the same time, and they're holding back 50K off of that as well. So 100K total. Till what? What are they waiting for? Well, this was my thing. And so I was like, oh, and they said it's due to the fact that you're, it, it, we're concerned about making payments. And so I'm like, okay, so you're putting the 100K into an interest reserve? No. A payment reserve? No. So my payments are still due in full. And 100K less on your payments is, what, 500 bucks? Maybe. So they're right like about 350 bucks. Yeah, 400 bucks. Yeah, that's more let's, say five, let's say 500 yeah. or 600, whatever. But like regardless, it's, it's irrelevant money really in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things. It is, yeah. And then uh, on top of that, now I have 100K less in my checking account to make those payments. Mm-hmm. So for me, it made no logical sense at all. But this is what can happen on some of these deals. And this is why... You That's be, a pretty key oversight. <clears throat> that is a key oversight. And it was due to the pressure that was kind of taking place to try and get everything closed. Um, but it, I kind of get how it happened because, again, it wasn't on the first couple pages that outline everything that you're getting. Um, it was f- right. it was further buried down. Like, so I, I we both, like, everyone missed it until closing Even the date. lawyer, right? Because the lawyer would have the actual mortgage instruction package. The lawyer called me and was like, uh, there's a 100K holdback. I don't really know what for. And they were like, because she said she requested the funds. And they landed, but they were missing a bunch of money. And I was like, short $100,000. They were short $100,000. Yeah. And I was like, what? I don't know. Um, so anyways, it's just, mm. these are things that come up. And it does happen on single family homes and regular purchases too. But yeah. usually it's a few thousand bucks. In this case, as you go up and up, it gets to be more. So it's just something to be considered of, of like when you're buying and making these investments. But again, like, make so sure you when, get a bit of wiggle room because so they're gonna things say, like this can happen. Once you get the rent up a little bit more towards market, then they're going to release those funds. Is that the idea? That's what I'm, I'm literally working through that right now. I just, I haven't been able to get an answer because someone was here, someone was there and we're just trying to get closed. So I dropped the money off, get it closed and, and then I'll figure it out. You were looking, looking at pivoting between uh, a lender that you'd worked a lot with recently. Yes. And then someone you were trying new who kind of was dropping the ball on this. So you and they dropped it back. completely. They dropped it completely. So you pivoted back to these other folks that you had this yes. longer relationship with. Yeah. Um, and they were great. They stepped in fast and they, everything like the term looked almost identical and except for that, basically that clause. Hmm. That was like the one thing. And they there was mention of it, but never of the exact dollar values or what exactly they were doing. And like I said, with all the other companies, they've done what's like an interest reserve where then it makes sense. Okay, so yeah, you're, yeah. you're going to... This aside, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're concerned you're not going to make the payments or be able to make the cash flow. So we're taking it now and we'll put it against your payments. That's what the other banks have done when I've bought properties like this. In this case, they just said, no, no, you just got to put it down. I'm like... Mm-hmm. Okay, so like you said, my payment's now down $500 a month, but the total payments are it's like... Yeah, the $500 isn't going to be... No, exactly. This is, it's over 31 yeah. units, so the $500 is irrelevant, really. Right. Um, so... Bummer. Anyways, long story short, we're getting her closed up. I'm still kind of fighting with them because I want to get that 100 k released through a draw or something because I yeah. said we bought this as a construction project. Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, but anyway, still excited. It's, it's going to work out well. Me and Tanner are going to loan you the money at 13%. That was our <laughs> big plan, but... It's cheaper than I usually pay. <laughs> Well, at least you're getting it closed. And yes. sometimes it's just you pound through it, you get it closed, and you just, I mean, especially with everything that's going on right now, I just look at it as you just have to put your head down yep. and work on it. Yeah. You know, like at this new building, I'm there regularly. I've got open conversations with every tenant there, and I'm just working on it a little bit every day and moving things in in the right direction. So, yeah, 100%. What else is going on in the news? 
yeah, so I mean, you were going to it there. Toronto passed um, kind of an in- intense new zoning law. It's something right. that got thrown around here, and it's inclusionary zoning. Um, and basically, what that is, it, um, I guess people know what zoning is. Zoning is what they put on uh, a parcel of land to dictate what can and cannot be built, or what can and cannot be done on that land. And so those also dictate, like, within a building, if you're doing 80 units, you must have 20% as three bedrooms, 20% as two bedrooms. Yeah, one has to be accessible. One has to be accessible, all these different things, the spacing, all those things. So now, within that, they've now modified it to also include, the unit breakdowns need to include affordable housing units. Yeah. Um, I don't think the exact specifications of what defines the affordable housing was 100% laid out. Um, but what they're saying now is to start, they want to say any new condo developments within a certain area must have 5 to 10% of their units as affordable units. And the affordable units must target people between 30K a year to 90K a year. Yeah, so, and it's going to be 30% of your income. Ex- okay, yeah, that's so what, they, they will have a rent point. value then. Yeah. Um, so that's how it's going to work. Now, what's weird about it, I guess, with a condo is technically they're also saying not just affordable rentals, they're saying affordable homes. Oh. So I don't know if that means now that, that you're going to have to sell your condos. Oh, my God. Those people are just going to flip those condos. Well, that's, that's going to have to be some sort of thing, and then you can't sell it for this many years. And Yeah. There, how many how many self-employed people are going to mark themselves down at 89K a year, get on oh, the I'd list? Be like, don't give me that raise if I can get a house for yeah, 50% exactly. less. Exactly. And then, like you said, hmm. just flip it off immediately. Um, so there's going to have to be something going on there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they intend to also increase this to 8 to 22% of units by 2030 will have to be affordable in a new construction build um, mm. to try and get to their targets of how many affordable units they need to have in the city. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there, there's some merit to making it a requirement, but on the flip side, it's like, it's going to boil out that all the extra costs are going to go on the other units. So then you're going to have other people in the building paying 20% more uh, for already insanely expensive housing. Yeah. And, and it's not going to create enough units in a short period of time. That's actually going to fill the gap. And then again, where a majority of their construction there is affordable home or is, is homes, they're going to be resulting in affordable condos, which I don't know how they're going to monitor, like who's kind of fibbing on their applications to receive it. And it's going to be like, yeah. it's going to make a lottery basically. Oh, I, I won the condo. I literally just made 400K today. Like it's yeah. literally going to oh, be a lottery man. system. You'll, for you'll have to enter in a lottery system. And yeah. that's similar to the rent control situations in other parts of the world where you might wait seven years to get a rent control in like a really certain location yeah um so i don't know how that'll pan out i mean this is a tax yeah yeah. like this is a tax yeah and and the reason i say that is if you live in a building and you pay like full value or whatever you want to call it yeah um and and knowing that your full value is about to get marked up a little bit right because 10 percent. yeah you know the person who owns the building runs all their numbers and if one number is high um you know, or if one number is low, the other number has to be high to offset it. Yep. Not everyone is going to get the same price per square footage, so you have to charge more price per square footage to compensate for stuff that's getting less. Yep. That's very simple. So unequivocally, some people are going to be paying more so that other people pay less. Yep. You know, that is, a, 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 at the least, it can be referred to as maybe a, a little bit of tax, yep. if not other things that you know we, we could get into. But um, And maybe people are okay with that. Um, I just don't understand why we've been paying all these taxes to address some of these things in the past. And I been, I also think we're doing a heck of a lot of, um, work in the space of these, what would be kind of a, I guess, middle, middle-class housing. And that's great. Um, I still haven't seen as much work in the app, like the real 
deep, affordable, you know, like we talked about before, 900 bucks and under, you know, that sort of space. And I think that's where what action needs the most attention. But I think, yeah, we've talked about that a bunch of times. I think yeah. that's, again, very much a government-mandated thing that they're going to have to be involved in and actually probably do it themselves because you just physically cannot. doesn't matter if they pass all the rules and laws and just no one would build because you just physically cannot. There'd be no, you'd be building basically as a, like a charity thing. You'd be like, all right, I'm going to give up all this money uh, to do it, which mm-hmm. is not wrong if you have the money to do it, but I just don't see how people are going to do that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be complicated for sure. And that's something that, you know, these things trickle down from big markets into smaller markets as those smaller markets become big. All of these rules have been made for Toronto and Vancouver for all these years that didn't necessarily impact us directly. Well, now as we've grown, they've started to impact us more and more. Yeah, um, they also have a rent control in place and they've had one in place for 10 plus years now. Why isn't it working? Why do we need these extra solutions if rent control's there? That well, should I've, just fix all the problems, This right? is Yeah, exactly. Oh. And this again shows the mm. whole concept of how rent control does not work. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and they've had, maybe over 10 years now and they've kept it at a fairly low, like 1.5 to two and a half percent on average. Like it's, it's quite, quite low. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. And this is again showing that that didn't work for the last 10, 15 years. And it actually, again, yeah, like we've talked about it, it kind of killed apartment construction, boomed condo construction. Now they're kind of hitting the condo construction with this. Again, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's again, a small bandaid solution. That's not really going to help anything besides push up prices on the average. Yeah. Um, and then give a small, small fraction of units available. That'll become, like you said, a 10-year wait list. And I would love to talk to, uh, to someone in planning or and someone that maybe knows a lot of the history of planning because part of me in my head is like, well, why don't we just build more cities? I know that sounds like a dumb idea, but like part of the reasons the areas around Toronto and those areas were all absorbed is because as Toronto grew and got more expensive, people went to the periphery and then they're just became kind of this, this mutual growth in these areas. And I've said for a long time about our province here is that our biggest issue is that we have the core Halifax, which at one point was little municipalities, but like, let's just call it Halifax proper. And then nothing else in the province was doing well. And for the viability of our province, we needed something in the South Shore to be doing well, something in the Valley to be doing well, uh, Truro to be doing well, and something in Cape Breton. So you kind of have these little hubs all around. And in the past, they used to do these things where they would just go up the road and build a new town and be like, well, Things are expensive there or things are overgrown there. Here's We're just going to open space. a new town over there. And I met these clients who lived in a town of something like 1,500 people. And it was sort of, it, they, they called it like the town that that never was. It's called Townsend, Townsend, Ontario. I, I was going to look it up because Townsend, yeah. it was designed by planners to be, be this new industrial town that was going to be set up around these factories and, and things like that. And... It just didn't happen, so the town never really grew. Uh, but we're so concentrated now on this idea of like, all right, big cities, big cities, big cities, and then we're somehow surprised where when you know they're really hard to live there. But as we talked about, we did a, a cross country survey of property values, and there's this misconception that everything's just going through the roof. Yeah, it's like no, the major cities are going through the roof, and the rest of the country is just not. No, it's it's like it is standard, and a lot of people yeah. are moving from those areas into the cities. Yeah, yeah, which so is causing that we, force up. I think from a planning perspective, I know there are disadvantages of spreading people out and advantages of, of stacking people on top of each other. But from affordability standpoint, if we had more viable regions, maybe that would make a lot of sense. But um, flipping here locally, there was a story that made the news. And as soon as I saw the headline, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> um, and it was the headline was something like landlord charged with extortion. Um, for claiming to uh, threatening to deport threatening to deport a tenant and so 
you know, it, it's just absurd, 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 as if people need more ammunition, hate landlords. Um, but this seems like quite a character. I guess the landlord in question also works to help people migrate to the country. And uh-huh, so they assisted okay. these people in migrating to the country and then signed, I believe, a commercial lease with them uh, for their business. And then whatever happened, maybe the business dissolved or something like that. The uh, commercial tenants new to the country um, took steps to exit their lease. Yeah. And the landlord did not want to let them out of the lease and effectively said, if you try to do this, I will get you deported, I guess. Brought you into this country and I will take you out of this country. <laughs> I guess so. And then needless to say, uh, he was charged. That's, you know, for criminal extortion. Um, I think rightfully so. That, that's, rightfully a little, so. that's a little offside. That seems a little offside. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's going on here. And as usual, we're touching base on the metaverse. Uh, you've got something there. <laughs> you're, you're more keen on this metaverse than I am. I'm I, keen. I'm just trying to stay woke, Chandler. Oh, yeah. I think you're sleeping. You still got your Blackberry and you're yeah. sleeping. Okay. <laughs> I just, fair, fair. I'm constantly seeing the stuff. And so now Bill Gates just made a statement. Uh, saying that he thinks within three years all meetings will be held in the metaverse, effectively. Um, and I guess it just hits harder when it's Bill. You know, everyone's got a little bit of a trust level with Bill. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's still, again, another tech guy that's whatever, made quadrillions of dollars and done all sorts of stuff that's probably a little bit offside. In general, he's done a better job, I think, of handling his image in the media. Um, and he's done also some really good things like, what was it, eradicating malaria? I don't even know. He's done lots of work on that front. Mm-hmm. Um but it's just when he says it, I'm like, oh, man, like when, when Mark says it, I'm like, all right, like Mark Zuckerberg says it and it's all good in the hood. Like he's going on. But Bill goes, OK, in three years, I think this is going to happen. I'm like, OK, shit, like that's he's probably for real. This is going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, I even look at the amount of meetings that I do now that take place on Zoom or team meets or whatever the heck they're called. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of them. Yeah. So, I mean, that's already slightly in the metaverse. I think it's to I a know point it's where be, you can be more interactive and yeah, like it's going to be further evolved and and more uh, experiential. Like it's going to. Yeah. Bill's an interesting cat too. Everyone again, he's good in the media, but like he was about two years ago, he was going on. They had this whole thing of like, what's going to happen to society? What's our biggest risk? All this pandemic. He just kept going pandemic, yeah. pandemic. Guys, there's a pandemic's our problem. That's what we got to be prepared for is a pandemic. And then boom, COVID. And I was like, Bill. Do, Man, you, do you know some shit? No. You know what's really interesting about that? And I was thinking of this the other day. Did and I Bill can't make remember. over? He probably could have. He's like, malaria down. And now I'm going to bring <laughs> a new one in the mix. Um, I'm going to be first to market. Um, there was something the other day. Um, Slavoj Žižek, who's like this crazy philosopher dude that people might see from YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. He, back kind of post 9-11... Um, like he's big in postmodernism, all this very abstract ideas that at one point in time I cared a lot about. Um, he had this interesting observation about how so many of the terrorist attacks were eerily similar to um, movies that we'd seen, right? Oh, big God. things that happen in movies. The movie came up prior to the terrorist Exactly, attack. exactly. And so when people convened in the Pentagon, security officials convened in so the, the Pentagon. They put a movie on. No, but they actually contacted and engaged big movie production studios to say what sort of things might terrorists look at doing. No. And way. 100%. And 
um, if you think of like everyone's seen the outbreak movies and the pandemic, you know, these are art kind of prefacing real life, you know, this is turning into the Joe Rogan podcast on the side. Note. No, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying in sort of any Nostradamus type scenario, but, um, creatives have thought about these things and, yeah, yeah. uh, looked at these things for a long time. And, you know, as, as humanity, we are naturally infatuated with our own like mortality and, yeah. um, you know, so those have been in movies for a long time. People have been talking about that for a long time and then it happens and it's eerily similar to the art we've created and put out in the world because we're so uh, obsessed with this, this idea. Keep but sliding down the path. I can't remember why I was talking who I the Simpsons. about the other day. Simpsons and predicting everything that happens. Oh yeah. That's always, it, that is pretty if you funny. don't know about this, there's like Google Simpsons predictions Yeah, and you'll get like a huge YouTube montage for yeah. like an hour of all the things that they said. And then 10 years later it happens like crazy weird yeah. things like Trump going down the elevator and the, the poster yeah. falls. And yeah, yeah, there's some weird stuff, but going yeah. all the way back, Bill said that I'm freaking out. The other thing I didn't, I haven't looked into yet is what is Bill doing to profit off of this? Like, He's a great guy and all that, but metaverse um, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what is he in, intending to be. Like, Zuck wants to be Mister uh, Doa running the show, yeah. like policing this thing. Um, what is Bill? Like, these guys must all yeah. get together and be like, all right, like what? What portion of what this piece do you want? Yeah. What piece do you want? And which? Who's going to dominate what? Yeah, because uh, they're at that point. Where I can't keep track control. of like what Microsoft owns versus what. Um, they have their fin- everyone it. has their fingers in so much stuff, even yeah. just for hosting and, and all these yeah. different items. Um, but anyways, I saw that and then it, it just it hit harder. It hit different, you know. Mm. Bill hits different. So I just, just want to see when Blackberry's gonna get a piece. Is Ram gonna come out and just dominate the metaverse? <laughs> I feel it in my bones. That thing's I'm gonna get an update and you're gonna be going good. Good to go. Can someone please like can everyone start commenting, please and thank you for Chandler to get an iPhone? Because the videos of him walking around, you can't even make him out. Yeah, I was going to do like a video four today pixels. and I felt insecure about it. So I didn't <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> I would think if I keep razzing you, eventually you'll cave. No, it's not going to happen. Um, um, all right, let's jump right into, or not right into, let's yeah. jump 33 and a half minutes into yeah. um, running a business. I know I actually yeah. said this to you early in our relationship because you and I met and, uh, you know, kind of like ships passing. I'm like, okay, man, I, I, I like that guy. He's hustling. He's doing things. Yeah. I'm naturally interested to, to know about someone and, and either from you or from other people around the office. They kind of gave me some background on what you're doing, which I respected a lot. And one of the things I mentioned to you, because I think that respect is mutual and and you kind of commented on the amount of volume I do in sales. And like we've said here before, sales is very transactional, um, which makes it, you know, businesses are transactional, but good businesses aren't transactional, really. They're not reliant on just transactions. And I said something to you to the effect of, um, you're really good at running business. I'm really good at doing business. Yeah. And the running of the business is so paramount, especially if you ever want to step back and enjoy a better quality life and do all these things. So that's something I always admired with you. And that's something that you kind of from, from the outset, we, we talked about this in previous episodes, you're very focused on and, and pivoting through, through different, um, different business opportunities. So yeah. what do you find? What kind of questions do you get like, well, as I say, we did, we did get some questions sent in from multiple different viewers. I'll try and hit some of those. And so to say also what business I'm running right now, realistically, the only business outside of already investing in real estate, we technically have a property management company being a real estate agent, uh, is a contracting restoration company. Yeah. Um, and basically what I plug them, everyone's houses just leaked to the last. Yeah. Yeah. Rainbow international of Halifax. Um, it's a franchise. And we do basically insurance work. We're not necessarily like someone you would call to rent out your house. 
Uh, but when your house floods, you'd call us. We'd handle mitigating it, stopping the water, removing anything that's damaged, uh, and then also then repairing, repairing your house and working directly with your insurance company to get that accomplished. Um, but yeah, so I guess starting out like this is a first one is everyone's like, how do you choose? Cause everyone I talk to is like, I don't, yeah. know, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do. Um, I want to, I want to have a business, but I don't know what I want to do. I, there's no magic sauce. Like, like we've talked about in earlier podcasts, I did a bunch of different things. Like first thing I did, I was aerating lawns. Um, and then I was selling random crap on Kijiji and then I was, uh, flipping car parts and then I was importing products and reselling them. And then I was importing cars and reselling them. And so I tried a bunch of different things and I kind of followed things that I was interested in because it made it a little bit easier to stomach spending my 8 PM to 12 PM on the computer researching or working on stuff. Okay. So did, did you specifically look for a franchise model? Because I, I always found the franchise model kind of interesting because don't they sort of say, Hey, we give you this thing, turnkey, you pay yeah. us these fees, unpack like the franchise idea and why you, well, yeah, so I'll, I'm get, so I'll get there with that. So, so I did all the other ones and then got into real estate. Real estate became my, my thing. Um, and then I was like, okay, I was doing my f- third flip ish, I think, or second even, and I was struggling to get good quality people um, and consistently have them there, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a tough part, especially when you're starting out and you don't have relationships with these yep. guys. You might make your 50% deposit, they say a week, and then it takes four weeks and it goes over budget, on and on and on. That still happens once you have the relationships, but it's a little easier to pull, especially when you have a large volume of work. So starting out, I didn't have that and I was struggling a bit. Um, and so I was like, okay, like maybe it makes sense to have a rental company because I know a lot of construction yeah, if guys. I'm, if I'm experiencing this, other people are probably experiencing this. Yeah. yeah. And also watching online and seeing other people in the city and, and around, a lot of guys who had contracting businesses did real estate because I'm like, right. okay, it makes sense because like, oh, well, I can save on the plumbing costs or I can save on the mm. carpentry costs or I can save on electrical because that's what I do. Competitive advantage. I think I've probably said that a few times. What exactly. are your competitive advantages? Obviously, if you're working in the trades or have a contracting company, that can become an advantage. Exactly. It became yeah. your competitive advantage. So then I looked at, at doing that and I didn't love it for the simple fact that the barrier to entry was low and there's a million of everyone. Whether I was a plumbing company, there's 150 of them out there. If I was an electrical company, there's 150 of them out there. Now, there's nothing wrong with them. If you do a good job of running them, there's lots of money to be made yep. uh, and they can run well. But I'm always nervous about um, basically recessions. If you haven't, if you guys haven't gathered yet, I'm always concerned about things pulling back and slowing down. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what does well even in a recession or maybe even does better wow. during a recession? Because I said, look, the real Man. estate, when things are going well, real estate's going to be popping. I don't really care how the contracting company does. But when things turn around, I don't want to be holding the bag on real estate, on a contracting right. company, on and on and on. But houses flood whether the economy is good or bad. Exactly. And houses flood yeah, whether... Yeah, interesting, dude. Insurance companies always have that. the money to pay because they're the customer nice. that's paying. And that's the other biggest And they gripe. pay top dollar. They pay top dollar. And people always gripe that customers don't pay or they they bitch and they, they're fighting about their, their thing. Insurance, they pay top dollar. They know what they're paying. They cut you the check before the work's even done sometimes. Okay, so let me just think about that a second. So... Uh, Filled a need, right? Like you, yeah. you, you experienced something that was challenging to you, yeah. And you kind of took from that. Well, if it's challenging to me, it's challenging to other people. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of dipped your toes in it and saw what facets of it had like sustainability and which maybe didn't. Yeah. And then this whole kind of recession-proof idea of, well, even if I'm if I am a plumber, you know, a plumbing contractor or electrical contractor there still may be these ebbs and flows. I'm still ultimately at the end of the day, um, market transactional. Yeah. And so you said, well, I want something a bit more secure than that. That's exactly. really interesting. And the other thing is, to be honest, even what it says even more so is during recessions, 
restoration companies actually do better because people are more likely to make an insurance claim. Like there's probably 500, probably more than like Right, because they don't have the liquid cash. Oh my God, that's ingenious. Yeah, see? So, and because right now there's probably 5,000 houses that flooded in the city mm-hmm. and a bunch of people aren't going to bother going through their insurance because like, ah, it's a few grand, whatever, I'll do it myself. Right. Um, and their deductible might be 5,000 bucks. So like, ah, it's, it's $3,500 worth of work. I guess I'm not going to file the claim because my deductible is $5,000 anyway. Even though say, or maybe they keep it a thousand bucks. They're like, yeah, ah, what's I got a new HELOC on my house. It's 200 grand, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'll, I'll pay it and do it. But if times are hard, they have to go through their insurance. Insurance does better when times are hard. That's what my thing. I was all about what's going to do better when there's a recession. This is getting me kind of excited. Yeah. I want to invest. Can I get a franchise too? <laughs> so, so that's how that came to be. Um, now, I have a business partner on that company, um, and he more runs the operation, the day-to-day show. And we talked about it, and that's kind of how we is came to Is that Justin? It. That is Justin, okay. yes. Um, and shout out to Justin. Shout out to Justin, yeah. Um, so we talked about it. And we had looked at a bunch of different businesses. Like we had looked at different franchise models for other things or different other businesses. And we worked together in the past. Um, and we kind of settled on this due to its, it's basically I, what I like to say is recession proof. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the reason we went down the franchise model, like you're saying, was insurance companies, like you can't just say, Neil's Restoration, right. call up Allstate in Toronto and be like, hey, Neil's Restoration send is open. Yeah. yeah, just send me your <laughs> 65,000 clients. Like yeah. I'm ready to handle this shit. Let's go. Um, and so to be able to get around that, you have to work within franchise models. And that's why everyone might know the names like Belfour, First On-Site, On-Site Restoration. Like these are mm-hmm. massive multi-billion dollar corporations that are across North America, if not internationally. Yeah. Uh, and they build literal contract relationships with the insurance brands. Right. So all those are obviously already taken, but there's a new one basically coming to town called Rainbow International. Now, right, so those when you say all those ones were already taken, you mean the franchise rights to those were already secured in this area? Either the franchise rights are already taken or their corporate locations. Yeah, so they don't have so franchises. There's so no think, opportunity, yeah. and you might have the opportunity to buy one, but the sale prices would be astronomical because it's basically like you're buying a guaranteed book of business. It's like why a McDonald's franchise or a Tim Hortons franchise are very, very, very expensive. Exactly. You yeah. you, you basically buy the territory and you receive the phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, so in looking through that, there was kind of one that's big in the States that hasn't made its entry into Canada yet, but is working on it. And so we saw an opportunity there and that was Rainbow International of Halifax. Uh, they also own a couple other, like a bunch of other brands like Molly Maid, AirServe, Mr. Appliance, Mr. Electric, Mr. Rooter. That's all under the same umbrella. So they started to get the all, the yes. whole layered. Yeah, exactly. You know, and here yeah. they have a Mr. Electric, a Mr. Appliance, a Mr. Rooter. Mr. Rooter Mo- yeah. Molly they have all of them here already. Um, so it's just kind of adding to that, to that layer. Um, so anyways, we, we went through the whole process of buying it. Um, and again, the idea was that that franchise had the relationship with the insurance. So it would bring in the leads. Of course, we do have to pay a franchise fee up front to buy it. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have a mandatory list of vehicles, uh, equipment, uniforms and everything and space you need to have. So we had to dump in about a couple hundred grand to get it off the ground. Um, and then you start paying monthly fees, royalties on every bit of work you do. And right. it differs on what type of work it is because, again, certain types of insurance work are extremely profitable and certain types are not. So I remember one time you told me, though, that the strictness of that franchise model actually helped you because in them saying, no, you need an admin person, you yep. need a this person, it forced you to hire positions and build out a system that maybe otherwise you wouldn't do yourself. Exactly. So it was it was great for me because I was fairly new to real business. Like at that point, everything had been like sole proprietor. I kind of ran the show. I might have one or two employees or like some some hourly people, things like mm-hmm. that. This forced me to like, I need to have a location. I need to have a warehouse. I need to have a certain amount of vehicles. I had to have all this gear. I had to have an administrator. Uh, we had to use all these softwares. We had deliverables every week, Wow, which yeah. was great. 
on the flip side, it's like having a really strict teacher. Yes. On the flip side, I was working for the man at that point. And I realized yeah. that after that it kind of takes away all your freedoms and kind of why I really wanted a business, right? Mm-hmm. Like, again, it's not about as much the money for me as it might seem like I really want the freedom, right? That's what I was looking for. And we kind of lost that in, in going into the franchise. Um, and additionally, at the same time, my real estate business was taking off. So it was a little bit tough um, to do it. So, I mean, like, yeah, I guess my involvement now is very fairly limited. I run kind of some of the back end stuff. Um, and Justin runs a lot more of the front end of it. Um, and it was a sharp learning curve. We came on, we got kind of busy. At first, we weren't getting busy at all. And then we got kind of busy through some uh, different marketing techniques that we utilized, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll talk about marketing another time. But used marketing and was able to get the phone from maybe one call a week to about one call a minute. Like literally it was ringing off of the hook. Uh, we ramped up, we hired a bunch of people. I think at one point we had like 16 of us all in, um, which is not crazy, but again, as someone started, what were the out, roles of those 16 people? So it was a mixture. So we had an office staff, we had an administrator, a project manager, uh, and then we had just crews of people. So we'd have like a lead carpenter with a helper. Uh, and then we also had a group of laborers that would do what's called contents cleaning because within um, we actually, we had a contents manager too, and then contents cleaners. So within restoration on, on top of like your standard stuff that you think of fire and flood, uh, there's mold, mold is very common. And mm-hmm. so mold will impact all of your stuff as well. Right. So even though you might have like most people say, oh, I'll just take a cash out. Well, sometimes you can't cash out a 500 year old dresser, like, you know right, what I mean? Right. Or your grandmother's chair, like you can't cash that out. So we got to try and clean that and repair that. And so we would bring that back to our warehouse and go through that. So we had hired those people Crazy. on to do it. We were even receiving uh, shipping containers. So like shipping containers on a ship, which we just had one go by, they leak. Like mm-hmm. they, they will leak sometimes and it will just damage everything inside the shipping container. And so we would get, literally they'd bring the shipping container to the warehouse, drop it we'd off and it would it. be someone's entire life in this container. Right. We'd empty it all out. We'd have to clean everything. Um, pages of a book, like we'd go through all that. So so you built that crew in pretty quick order. Yeah. Um, how did you get the funding to start? Because we've talked a lot about financing the real estate. Yeah. You said you dumped a couple hundred thousand dollars into this thing. And I yep. don't know if that includes the franchise fee, right? Because typically you have to pay for the franchise fee. Yeah. Um, you know, how did you get the liquid capital? What's the financing for this sort of thing? So we used every opportunity and every option we had. Uh, so the first thing is we used, uh, I believe it's called the Canadian Business Loan Guarantee. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so basically Canada, the Canadian government gives you a co-sign on a loan to get started. And so we got, I think, 50K from that. That'd be one of the advantages of, of going through a franchise model, I would assume, too. Makes it a little easier. built-in things, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't give us any real help because, again, they're pro- predominantly in the States. Um, but they we were able to say, like, look, here's a franchise. We show them all that. And it was a lot easier to jump through most of the requirements there. In general, it's not a crazy difficult process to get the money. Um, but they partner with the local bank and they give it to you. So we got that, uh, 50 grand. We financed the franchise fee. Um, so to, to reduce something up front. Standard personal loan type deal? Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Standard personal loan. I think they gave us like a 50% loan. So the other 50% we had to put up. Mm-hmm. Um, we financed the vehicles. Uh, we financed the equipment. Um, and then the rest was cash out of pocket to do it. So when they're looking at that financing, yeah. um, I mean, you're new to real estate, yeah. right? So um, did they look at your you know, your T4s, your NOAs, or was this they financed based on the strength of the company or what? They look they look at your T4s and NOAs, but I basically didn't have any, to be yeah. honest. Um, and so it kind of comes down to kind of a faith thing. And you'll see like with a lot of this, like again, the Canada Loan Guarantee, like that's who's stepping in there to reassure the bank. Um, for these leases on the vehicles, I mean, like they say, they'll approve anyone. Mm. So they were willing to approve it with some certain requirements of down payments and stuff like that. But it's kind of a like the person who leased yeah. our gear 
it's a small company of like two or three people. And really the main guy, it's literally his money that he's giving out to lease the gear. Like we couldn't go into some big Jim Patterson leasing and be like, hey, I'm buying $75,000 of gear and right. I made $4,000 last year. Right. And he's like, aha. Right. Yeah. So there's a huge, there's a huge leap there. Yeah. Um, now, obviously not everyone goes the franchise model. We can talk about like where you are in that company now. Yeah. Um, but uh, you did some other things that were individual. And this is where I've always struggled with the idea of starting a business is I struggle with the thing like, well, I can do it better. So I'll just do it. Yeah. Right. Like I'm sure of those 15, 16 people, aside from maybe like the carpenters and the people who actually had to have skilled labor. Yeah. There must have been times where you felt like, well, I could do it better than that person. And I know you were forced by way of the um, the the franchise model that you had to hire someone for it. Yeah. But what do you do with that? You know, everyone wants to wear all the hats in the business. And and I know myself, I know that's how I would be. I would struggle to, de- you know, delegate work and, and bring people on board because I'm cheap too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a crucial thing that you you learn over time. And I'm still learning it now is how to delegate and have people handle work. I'm still doing it today. Like it's like you still do your property management. I've delegated that off. Project yeah. management, I've delegated that off. Um, my administration, I've delegated that off. And I'm not saying like it's, there's lots of headaches. There's lots of hurdles, lots of bumps, lots of things get messed up that I definitely probably would not have messed up necessarily if I did it myself. But that's kind of part of getting there. You can't expect the other person necessarily to operate the way that you would. Right. And it, it, it comes down to also how good you can be as a leader in that front. That's how yeah, I feel. You can't expect them to care as much as you care. That, no, that's it's, just not a reasonable, exactly. reasonable expectation. Exactly. That, that's like a number one thing there that you can't expect them to care. And again, there, there's certain things that the way you think they're not going to necessarily think about it that way. And so they're going to have a different way of approaching the item or the, the task. Um, so I guess getting there was tough. It, when I first started, it drove me nuts and I always had my hands in it. But I've always, since the start, had it in my head. Like, again, this is where I'm like so obsessed with my goal setting that I know where I want to be with it. That I'm like, I need to release these things and let them do it. Mm-hmm. And I know they're going to screw up. Like, and I, and I know it's not going to go how I want it to go. But that's part of running a business. Like, you, need to, you can't run everything with an expectation that's all going to go 100%. You need to have a margin of error with the expectation that those right. problems are going to take place. And and you do have to apologize on their behalf, but you got to take the onus. Like you never want to make that person feel bad. You, you show them what you want them to do next time. And again, that's where I think becoming a really good leader so you can make sure that they get better at what they do, but understanding that there's going to be, the ball is going to get dropped. So you're kind of stepping back from that now though, right? That business now, uh, we're, we're stepping back from it now. Um, we, you know both you and your partner, he's not kind of taking the ball and running with it. Potentially. We're just looking at making some changes there where he runs more operating businesses and I run more as an investor. Um, Mm -hmm. And now it doesn't really fit into my long-term play. And I realized that after the fact, at the time it was super exciting and and all those things. But I realized now with my, my, my goals and, and kind of the things that I want to do, it doesn't fit, doesn't fit the build. Um, Unpack that a bit. What do you mean? So again, I I set goals that we've talked about where like by 25, I wanted a million bucks. Uh, I'm not going to go over all the other goals for every other year, um, but I have goals financially and kind of also for my amount of freedom. Like we've talked about with success, there's an amount of freedom that you get uh, or that you want to achieve to, to gain success and how you feel about it. So anyways, I have those things and it doesn't fit that build. Be honestly, purely and simple, it's a dollars it's a dollars and cents thing. Right. No matter you how can't, you feel you can't scale it. Yeah, I can't. I can only scale it to a certain level. Why? And well, because at the end of the day, there's only so many houses here. There's already a bunch of companies. There's only so right. many insurance companies that'll work with me. And it's like a where it's a business that it's a contracting company. It, it trades at a at a certain uh, value right. based on the right. income. It's okay. It's four x your your profits. That's what you're going to get on it. Maybe five six right now because the city's hot. 
Um, but you, you're set. So you and everyone kind of knows you can look at every single one across the city based on your population. You're expected is this. You can just guarantee like if you're running perfectly smooth for three years, this is what you're going to make. This is your top end value. And it just doesn't fit the build and the amount of time that I need to put in to get there. It doesn't right. make it doesn't make sense. And it sounds like you don't love it, right? Like there, there are a couple of reasons people do what they do. One of them is because they love it. And for better or worse, they go down that business ownership path yeah. for a long time and they never get off because, I mean, I guess doing what you love is, is reward enough, but you're saying yeah. that that wasn't what I was doing it for. No. And so it reached a point where now you're going to pivot and look at doing something else and yeah. you scaled up your other business significantly during that time. Yeah. Um, do you find people like do something that they, they think they love to their own demise sometimes? Their own detriment? A hundred percent. I find that, and I think a lot of business owners do that. They're, they're super keen to get into starting a business. I mean, it's kind of a glamorous thing. It sounds exciting. All these things they love, whatever it may be, vinyl wrapping cars and they love cars. So they get into it and they can't see the light because they're, what's happening is they're getting into it. They're doing what they love, but now they're working whatever, 80 hours a week and it's not kind of hitting that growth target that they kind of originally had envisioned, but they kind of keep chasing it and keep chasing it. And so you get into the cycle. But the problem is it gets to a point where, okay, now you've taken business loans and mm-hmm. you now have a payroll and you're, you're in so deep so you can't just cut it off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times businesses aren't necessarily worth that much no. uh, until they pay all those things off and they start cash flowing yeah. quite aggressively. And so and learning all those things is not easy. Just because you're doing it, you don't necessarily just learn it. Um, and so, and the other thing I find with business, there's an awkward stage is like sole proprietor where your overhead's low and you have maybe one or two people. I find you make a ton of money then for, for the size. Yeah. Or enough to get really excited and say, well, this is kind of good enough, you yes. know, but eventually you often get burnt out under that model. Like you're doing great. The money's good, but inevitably you well, can't, you can't, you're doing move, everything. you can't scale. Yeah, like, yeah. So then you go to a medium sized business and now you hire all these people, you add on, on a location, you add all this branding. Mm-hmm. Now your overhead's so high. So you're doing five X your sales, but your cost's actually five X. So you're still taking home the same dollars. Yep. You're just running this massive expense now. In the real estate world, we call that teams. <laughs> <laughs> Setting up real estate teams. Yeah. Sounds like the worst thing ever. Yeah. So then you have People that. laugh when they listen to that <laughs> or, or not laugh. Yeah. Um, so then you get to that position and you're like, crap. So it's either then you have to go even bigger and that's where you really need to have the skills. I think that's where it goes from. Yeah. It doesn't matter how hard you work. That's where some skills come into play that you're going, okay, now I'm going full corp. Like I'm going large scale industry. Yeah. I'm stepping back entirely i'm the puppet yeah. master the market yeah. has to be able to, to sustain that that's true yeah. there's so yeah. many there's so many factors at that point um and so i think that's people get stuck in that medium-sized business where it's nice it's a business and, and it has some ability for you to step away a little bit but you still need to be there consistently mm-hmm. so yeah i would say i see a lot of people to their own detriment get sucked into it but if they're enjoying their time and they're okay with that it is very gratifying like to run your own business and to lock up shop at the end of the night and and to see those things happen and or land a big contract. Like there's a lot of things that take place uh, when you have a business that is super, super satisfying. It's even when I first bought this, like I sat up the whole night. We had a hurricane. I sat in the office the whole night next to the phone You're waiting like, for yeah. it to ring. It didn't ring. Oh. Didn't ring. I thought it was unhooked. <laughs> but I spent the whole night awake sitting there because I was so excited. Right? Like this oh, is the yeah. business. Like this is our time. Everything was yeah. good. All the gear was lined up. Like the vans were ready to go. We had them parked at the doors and the phone didn't ring and everyone was ready. Everyone was on standby. Um, but, and, but that's part of running a business. Yeah. But then I remember the first time we did get calls, it was super exciting. And, and I remember our first few like major storm events, we got one or two calls. This recent one, we had a rainstorm. We're not even actively marketing anymore. And we got like eight or 10. Like it was yeah, absurd. Yeah. Like people, everyone's calling, looking for it. 
And I'm like, we're not even trying anymore. It, like I would have yeah. died for that when I first opened. Right. But you get to that point too, where the business starts to kind of have some of its own residual strength. So it's sort but, of like, you know, there's the sole operator just going out there and sometimes that's the lean mean best model. And if people, that's a great model, if people love that and they enjoy what they're doing, there's something to be said for not scaling beyond that. Big time. And I find um, the only reason, well, people, because it's very similar to what we do in our in our industry where people start to talk about, well, I should set up teams. And the challenge is, you know, if someone is looking to work with you for the Neil experience, you have a team around you. We talk about this all the time. Yep. The team in, in our world is, okay, you know, great to connect with you. I'll be overseeing everything. You'll have me as a resource all the time. But in the meanwhile, here's so-and-so. And they're yep. going to be the one out there. And then people sort of feel like, oh, well, I thought I was getting one thing. And I'm getting something slightly different. Yep. And maybe they're okay with that. Maybe they're not. Yep. Um, but then I always worry about, too, the referral source. It's like, oh, yep. I sent you my sister and you sent her to someone else. So does that tell me that you no longer want referrals? Or, yep. you know, how do I feel about the fact that, you know, they weren't sent to the same person that I was expecting and, and so on. And yep. I worry about that. And, and I worry about it to the point, well, that's part of the reason I, I never... Um, have set up a real estate team. The other thing is, you know, and then this is that middle level, you become so responsible to those people. You yeah. have to feed those people around you yeah. and you have to put the systems around them for them to succeed. Yeah. And there's some teams that do it really well and there's some that don't do it all, like don't do it well at all. And the <laughs> ones that don't do it well at all, I sort of wonder, well, why are they doing it? And a lot of it is ego. If I look at a lot of these companies that try to scale way too early yeah. and they all do it because of ego. That's why I did it. Right? There's one thing to, you know, say I've got my own shingle, I'm doing my thing and I'm crushing it. Um, but that's not as fancy as having like your own office and this, oh, we got a team of this many. Like how many people are quick to fire like how many staff they have and blah, blah, blah. Yep. That's the ego play. The people who tend to do it well, probably they reach a point in their life where uh, their personal lives are suffering or their health lives are suffering or they're changing their priorities. Yeah. And then they want to build this team, which, you know, the next level of business in order to buy back some of their, their time. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's great. That's when it's done correctly. And then the problem is you have to realize the thing that you got into the industry for, whether it's, you know, building decks or framing a house or running electrical, the thing that you actually like, you are no longer in that business anymore. Exactly. You are in the people business. Yeah. And that's a hard thing. And I think between that and between that sometimes it's an ego play is why people don't often get past that middle scaling. Yeah. And they'll either scale right back down, do, 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 the team disappears, or, you know, it just dissipates in, in some other form. Yeah. Um, but the real hard thing is, that I guess, going from that to, even beyond that. And it sounds like you kind of peaked out at the middle level, realized, okay, my scaling options here are limited. I would have to replicate this model in multiple jurisdictions. And does that even get me where I want to go? Yeah. You said no. Yeah. And you're on to something else. So I guess the people that are looking at getting into a business, it's like, well, do you want to do the work? Do you want to be in the people business? Or do you want to start some big corporate thing? Right. Uh, I know you're more interested in the latter, but other people might be at different rungs because every now and again, people are like, well, I want to do this and then I'm going to have these many people around me. It's like, well, why exactly? You know, what exactly do you want that for? Don't jump in too deep. I think that's what you like in general. Like if you want to start something too, like start small. A lot of people say they want to start a business and they're working a full time job. I'm like, find a way to start it on mm -hmm. the side. Yeah. Do not give up your full time job. Start on the side. Make sure there's some market demand. Make sure that it actually makes sense. You actually do like it and do a super small version of the business 
and then okay now it makes sense add some people on in and kind drag it as long as you can before you absolutely have to then go full bore into it because you don't want to make this where like i made the mistake i jumped in so deep we bought so much stuff we hired so many people it was an ego thing like i was fired up i was young i was hiring all these people mm-hmm. um and and we thought it was all amazing but the overhead's just burning up like crazy and yeah. so for a few months everything's fine and then it starts not being so good when things slow down a little bit um, so yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Also, that. you lose the part of the job that you liked. Like you were yeah. saying, you liked the deal. Like you liked the stuff coming yeah. in. And then increasingly, that's not what you're doing. You're, you're people no. managing and, and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, but people are so, you know, and, and I think it comes back to the ego. Like, are you doing what you're doing because of your ego, or are you doing what you're doing because it's the smartest thing to do? Some people start teams and build these models out of ego. Some people do it for the right reasons, and the latter have more success than the former. Obviously. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple buddies. Um, who work in the food and beverage space, which is notoriously the hardest Super difficult. space. Yeah. It's the hardest space. Low margin. Um, it's, you know, a lot of people try it and the vast, vast, vast majority fail. Uh, I don't even know what the numbers would be, but it is significant. Yeah, I mean, you see it, fail. turnover of restaurants is insane. Yeah, Bars yeah. and restaurants. And these guys both absolutely destroy it. Um, independent of one another. Like they're, they're not in the same business. They're, mm-hmm. they're doing two different things. And, Part of the reason is I've known them for a long time. They are business savvy. They mm-hmm. love, love, love what they do, mm-hmm. but they're very, very business savvy. And interestingly, independent of one another, they both looked at expansion because one of the challenges with the food and beverage industry is, well, say you have like a hot restaurant and it's crushing. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do to make more money? Yeah. Well, you kind of have to like make another restaurant which and you hope see a that lot. crushes as well. Yep. Um, but instantly, like you may get some economies of scale with ordering your produce and stuff like that, but that's more people to, to deal with, more managers to bring on, more space to lease. And they both kind of interestingly, because I talked to them, they're really close friends and, and we talk about work-life balance and all this stuff all the time. Yeah. They both kind of realized, man, I love my life. Like had great years in business, I've now set up these systems because they're super smart system guys, like where I don't have to be in the space all the time. Yep. Um, and they're just loving life. And so now they're not going to necessarily expand the way they initially planned. They're happy with the stage they're at. They're, they're totally content with it. They struck that perfect balance of like, all right, I'm not a, a one-person operation who's never really going to get ahead to I'm going to build out a team, but I'm going to make that team and those systems so damn good that – in theory, we could expand, but that expansion might actually dilute the profitability um, and it would be dollar in, dollar out or, or not a change in, in what they want in their life. And it's a very, more very interesting More stress and work for not much more coming home. Yeah, and that's the whole the whole ego thing. Uh, it's funny. We we're going to talk about a bunch of things off the hop and I literally skipped over the biggest thing and the one that was at the very top of the list. And that kind of relates to all of this. And it's what's going on. They're calling it either the great resignation yes. or the big quit. Yeah. Um, we've talked a little bit about it when I, you know, we go to restaurants and, and no one's there. Like there, there's no staff working and there's a shortage of this labor. And it's something like two to three percent of the U.S. Like just people have quit their jobs. Um, and in Europe. Turnover is insanely yeah, high. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in Europe, it reaches high six percent. And this was coming out of COVID, right? So obviously there were all, all this job loss when COVID was at its I mean, it's on a whatever wave now, but when the unemployment hit its all-time high during COVID, there was a lot of people at work. Yep. They all came back, and then a bunch of them just decided to quit. And the long-term reasoning, like we don't really know the causes of that. A lot of it is, um, you know, wages not keeping up with cost of life, um, 
worker satisfaction. I think worker dropping. satisfaction is quite low, like in yeah, general. yeah. Change mentality, change of priorities. Um, even the fact that you just were sitting at home for a while and maybe realize some other interests and how good it say, is to sit of, at home. Yeah. You know, then you have to go back to your crappy job. Like it's a lot of new opportunities. I think people like they were at home and they might have yeah. started a little business that worked. This out. is the thing. Yeah. Like the gig culture now yeah. is way different than it used to be. And I'm sure, well, we don't have any older listeners, but if they did, they would probably give, give examples of how people did stuff back in the day too. But I can't imagine a time, at least in my, you know, the last couple decades where there were this many people piecemealing working in the metaverse. Well, like, but no, but you say that just, but yeah, like, yeah. okay, dabbling in, in one thing over here, maybe yeah. in a, an investment uh, sort of thing. And then doing this side uh, hustle where they, you know, make and sell or distribute or resell. People were forced to look yeah. at different options yeah. and also reflect on what they had going on. And then what they, they had, wanted they to do. Exactly. Right? Uh, especially if you're not going to pay people enough to afford them the quality of life that they want. Well, it's kind of like if I'm going to work for less money, I might as well do it of something that I really enjoy. I was going to say, what's um, really good about this? It's forcing up for, for people. It's forcing up wages. Totally. Totally. Um, it's also leading to things like, uh, well, they called it, Gosh, what did they call it? Uh, striketober. All right. So in October, like the most strikes in America was kind of happening simultaneous to one another. And a lot of people viewed all of the quitting at the same time as kind of a, a strike action in itself. These were people walking off jobs in one way or the other to protest, you know, wages, quality of life. And it's kind of the biggest mass union action that we've seen in a long, long time. Um, and the one that's dope for me is that, you know, everyone knows Starbucks, man. There's so many Starbucks out there. And three of them in Buffalo, of all places, just ran unionization votes. And Starbucks came in and they actually inserted managers at these locations and moved some staff away from these locations to, up. to try to break it up. And one location was unsuccessful in the union vote they lost, uh, they being the, the uh, would-be unionizers. Another location, I guess... Um, the vote was still being tabulated, which I don't quite understand, you know, when I looked into it, (laughs) um, and then, but another, um, Starbucks in the Buffalo area successfully unionized. And I mean, this is big just symbolically, um, but you know, if they made that headway at these, just these three locations, it's going to spread. Yeah. I mean, Starbucks can't go in there and try these little, um, passive aggressive ploys across all the Starbucks locations. Yeah. Um, so there's something really interesting going on with a labor movement, um, you know, across the world that, that maybe we haven't seen in a while, even though unionization is at probably an all time low, um, these things go in ebbs and flows, but, um, Anyway, it's just yeah. interesting times for labor, and, and that's another thing that you have to start thinking about if you really want to be a business owner that's a big and one start now. scaling. Um, that's a huge one now. I, I think there was even a, a small barista group here in Halifax that looked at unionizing, I think, and I'm pretty sure the owner just went ahead and closed the location. The I'm not into that. <laughs> um, so uh, the, you know, the joys of being a... Uh, business, a owner. business owner yeah there's so. there's a lot of factors involved and you're like you said the being a business owner the biggest thing is kind of running the people once you go past that that self-employed stage uh, or sole proprietor stage um, do, you, do you think businesses should start with love or start with money like start with the idea of making money or because you enjoy what you're doing i think honestly you should start with enjoying what you're doing which i know is cliche and i also get that a lot of people don't know 100 percent what that's going to be but i think you need to try a few times to kind of see what that is. And that's why I'm so hell bent on trying to start with a few different little things at home. Like, okay, maybe you want to start a restaurant, but try doing something like a derivative of that, like catering from home. 
that's what you don't need to start a whole restaurant, right? Like there's, and nowadays yeah. with Uber Eats, you can, you can literally start a business from your house and deliver off of that. Like yeah. I, I know you're not supposed to go out of your house and all that, but I just, you, you get my point. There's options nowadays. Interestingly, those guys that I mentioned, you know, they both did that in one way, shape or another, either made their own drinks or did some catering, like, you know, um, or go work, start there. small, like or go work, risk. Yeah. go work at a restaurant. Like, okay, well, so yeah, you got to get the, expertise. you always want to yeah. have a restaurant, but you did a degree in commerce and now you're working at TD wealth management and you're like, man, I always wanted to have a restaurant. It sounds like crap, but you're off on the weekends. Find a place that'll pick up your shift and do it. I, yeah, yeah. You can't go in there with rose-colored, oh, this should be easy. When I started doing the car stuff, I worked for free at a car, a car garage because that's what I thought I always wanted to do was have a car garage uh, that did mechanic really? shop. Yeah, so I went and worked oh, for man. I won for free because, like, we're not going to hire you. You have no skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just literally would go there on the weekends and work to try and get a gauge of if that was something that I was interested in doing. Um, so, like, you kind of have to do some of those things if you really want to know before delving into the deep end. Can you change a tire? Uh, Yes, I can change the tire. That surprises me. Does that surprise you, Tanner, a little bit? What? Okay, that surprised me. No offense. Thanks, Tanner. Thanks, Tanner. Can you change a tire? Of course I can change a tire. Oh, he's offended. He's offended. Of course I can change a tire. But yeah, so that's it. So I'd say like, (laughs) just to give a little bit of a a big lesson I think that I learned too, we're going to talk about this in a separate time, but partnerships, like learning how to set up a partnership, Mm kind of making the decision between people because I now do it, I've done it with an active business and I've also done it with investing. And I've learned, I'd say a lot, and I think you have as well. Um, so I think we should do one specifically on partnerships because I know a lot of people, especially as costs of everything have gone up, mm-hmm. a lot of people are considering doing things through partnerships because a lot of people can't necessarily come up with a couple hundred grand to get things started or to make their first investment. Uh, and so like, okay, I have one other person or two other people I want to work with. Uh, so I think we should talk about that. Um, but then, yeah, I, th- I think the biggest thing with the, with the business is you need to commit to it as well. And that was something I tried to go too fast uh, and it was kind of an ego thing. And so it's, it's making sure, like you said, and you, you, you described it well, is, is kind of starting your business, uh, working through it, make sure you're enjoying it, continuing to grow it, and kind of taking the baby steps to build a really strong foundation as you grow up. Don't mm-hmm. don't try and be like, okay, in two years, I'm going to be the biggest builder in the city. Like, You can go crazy and try and land all these contracts and do this. You're, it, it's going to catch up to you, and, and it's not going to work. Uh, we, we I did that, uh, and it became too much. And so now I'm trying to kind of focus myself reestablish, take a step back. Yeah, and remember why you're doing it. Remember right why now. I'm doing it and build out proper platforms and you'll get a lot more satisfaction out of that as it grows and you'll have so much more strength when the time comes for you to make big plays or to make those moves that you want because you grew it organically and, and naturally yeah. versus trying to, to trying to force it in uh, and kind of fake it till you make it. It'll mm-hmm. it'll bite you in the butt and you'll, you'll, you'll have to get pulled back. Yeah, and because if you can get that business to be really strong financially, yeah, the opportunities to do other things financially oh and, and systematically, like you yeah. want to have a good yeah. organization structure, like you want to have totally. confidence that when whatever comes in, if, okay, a customer is coming in to buy something or a claim comes in or you're going to sell something, you have confidence that those systems are in place and it's going to work properly. Yeah. That is so important. It's also like you see how these business owners, they get into one thing and all of a sudden they're in something else and something else and something else, either because the industries are related, i.e. like cleaning companies and plumbing companies would be related to a restoration company. Um, so there's that sort of um, every chain of, of the process integration. And then there's just the fact that people bring you business opportunities once you have businesses. Big time. But you have to get the initial business really solid. You see, it, like you say, it's an ego thing. You start a business and then you're like, oh, I'm a business owner. And then it goes kind of well and you pay your bills and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm literally like 
I don't want to say Donald Trump because everyone's like, he's the worst business owner ever. But like, I'm Warren Buffett, like, even though he doesn't, he's an investor. But you get my point. You think like, oh, I am the best business owner ever and I have this mm-hmm. concept. Maybe not quite to that extent, but you you think, okay, I have, I've understood how to run a business. I can now replicate this with other businesses, especially within the similar field. Right. And but some people are just simple. so interested in being like a 10% owner of seven different businesses. Also and some do that in the worst possible way. Some do it in the in a good way, yeah. But some do it in the worst possible way, like ten percent of seven nothings. Like you know what I mean? Like it, it's it's not. You got to go into it with like no ego and and, and you know put focus the focus on the fact that it's a business. Yeah. Use write all, all the right steps. Try and make sure you have your as much money you can you can have available and having more than you think. Like if you need a hundred, try and secure one hundred and fifty k of financing. Those kinds of things. And I understand, like we've talked about, it's not going to be that glamorous where you're just always going to have money. Like there's times you got to scrape your credit cards and your line of credit and whatever you got, borrow money from friends to try and make it work. Um, but just trying to be as prepared as you can, I think is, is important. I think it's also asking people the same way we talk about real estate. You've got to find your mentors. You've got to ask them. And yeah. I bet if you ask them all, um, they will talk to you about how they started small and they grew the thing. Everyone yeah. sees the end product. And actually I saw... Um, this guy I know who, who sells supplements, he's one of the biggest supplement franchises in Atlanta, Canada. And he was talking about how his business started and it was like with one little kiosk. And yeah. I remember yeah. that kiosk. I don't think it matters to shut him out. Supplement King is a good, good dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is when we were both at St. Mary's and everyone now would see all the stores everywhere. So yeah. if I was someone thinking now like, Oh, I want to get in the supplement business. My immediately thought, I need a store. thought would be, I would need storefront. Yeah. I need storefront. I yeah. need the storage facility that he has and a blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Well, man, at the time he was selling it, I think out of his apartment and he had a kiosk. Yeah. Right. So, um, people just see the end and, and not the process as cliched as that is. Now you do it but, online with like a drop shipping. You never actually own the thing. You never actually own the protein. You I just, know. that's nothing. That's one of these side gigs, right? That people are doing. But exactly. anyway, that's all the time we have for today. I think, yep. um, Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope you had a great holiday or having a great holiday. Yes. And we've got some exciting stuff coming in the new year. We're excited about being in this new space. Do we, we got, wanna? we got one more coming before the end of the new year. Yeah, that's right. A little recap. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. Last thoughts, Neil? No, thanks for listening. We have, uh, we have some guests coming on for the next one. Right. Uh, so that should be good. And business owners themselves. Yeah, exactly. Another set of business yeah. owners. Oh, not the next one. The next one after that one. We're doing the recap for the year. And then the first episode of the new year, we're going to have some folks on who are running their own business that is real estate related. I'm excited to hear what they have to say and what they've learned. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for checking out the episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and press the bell button for notifications. If this is your first time here, check out our back catalog for more episodes. Thanks so much for watching. When when, when, when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.